You guys have your Bibles? Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Pastor Greg is sick this morning, uh, so that's why I'm leading worship. Um, I'm excited about Christmas. I, I pray that you guys are. I pray that it grows with anticipation every day. I pray that it grows with anticipation every year, uh, or grows in anticipation. Um, as we look forward to celebrating the coming of our King. Let's read... Uh, I want to read uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We're just going to be in, I'm just going to preach from verse 2 and then verses 5 through 7. So we'll just read those verses this morning. It says, this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then in verse 5, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, may your word impact our hearts this morning. Father, may you change lives. If I give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hands to, to apply. Um, Father, for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. As we begin thinking this Sunday about uh, the birth of Christ and begin the season of Advent, I pray uh, that uh, this time will be a blessing to you. Uh, We're going to take a break from the book of Acts for the rest of this year, and then we'll pick back up an Acts in January. So we'll be in various texts over the next uh, few weeks, which you know is not our preference, but uh, this time of year um, gives us a wonderful opportunity to um, celebrate specifically and think about the coming of Christ. Christmas, the most wonderful time of year. A great opportunity for cliches. But what is Christmas? What's Christmas really about? I, I, I know I'm sure you've heard a thousand sermons asking the question, "What is Christmas about?" But I want to ask the question again. But I want to ask it in a couple specific ways. I want to think about this: how specifically, how, what is Christmas about? And then how do we engage our own hearts? And then how do we engage the culture around us once we know? what Christmas is really about. What do we do with it? What's it look like to interact 
in an increasingly secular world. By the way, that increasing didn't just start in the past decade. It's been going on for a long time. Here's how it typically goes. Just an observation. It's about Christ, right? Christmas is about Christ. It's about uh, uh, the coming of Jesus, the birth of Christ. We're going to celebrate his birthday. Uh, I mean, you know, he's an eternity old, for the record. So if you're going to put that, you need like an infinity sign candle on his, birth, on his cake if you're going to do that. 2000, you know, anyways. Sorry. Bad theology joke. But it's about his birthday, right? It's about his coming to earth. Now this means that everyone else needs to know what Christmas is about, right? Everyone around me needs to know what Christmas is about. Everyone in my culture, people, the greeters at Walmart and Target need to, uh, they don't do greeters at Target, but at Walmart they still do, uh, and Meyer does. They they need to know what Christmas is about, right? So they got to say Merry Christmas. If they don't say Merry Christmas, instead use that dreaded phrase, Happy Holidays, Somehow they clearly don't understand what Christmas is. But as long as my family gets together for the holidays, as long as we give gifts, as long as people say Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays, or, or don't put that dreaded Xmas on there, right? Then somehow, listen to me, somehow we walk around thinking that our culture is understanding Christmas. Or at the very least, we walk around more comfortable. As long as they say the right phrase, they must got it. It allows us to walk in a culture thinking all is well. You walk, you walk by that greeter who says, Merry Christmas, and go. You know, I pray that they really, genuinely know the redeeming work of God come in the flesh to the incarnate Son of Jesus Christ. Or, oh, awesome, they said Merry Christmas to me and didn't say Happy Holidays. They must get it. Or because our families are willing to come together for Christmas, that somehow they understand the good news of Jesus as God come in the flesh to redeem us from our sin, shine light into our darkness. That they get that. Again, I pose the question, do we really understand the meaning of Christmas? Let me ask you to maybe say, uh, hit it a different way with you. Where does your joy come from this time of year? Where where does your joy come from all the time? That's where we ask that question all the time. But particularly during this season, right, which is a season of joy and bliss and happiness, right? And Families kind of forget all their feuding and come together and, and, you know, we give gifts to people that we don't see all year round, but somehow all is well. And so where does the question is, where does your joy come from this time of year? Genuinely, like, what in these, like, you have an opportunity for this next month to examine what is bringing me happiness right now. And it will reveal lots about what's inside. I'm afraid that for many of us here, what brings us joy is a chance to indulge ourselves and not feel guilty about it. A chance to 
eat what I want, and right, you could just start a new diet on January 1st, right? So it's the holidays. I just get to eat what I want, and that's the way it goes. It's a simple example, but how about this? A chance to get things that I wouldn't normally buy. I get to spend money on myself or, you know, I mean, listen, I, in the name of saving my wife stress and preparing for baby, I decided I would just buy my own gifts this year and say, you can wrap them for me. She actually was appreciative, so it worked out well. I was very thoughtful. I needed them in time for hunting season, and, you know, Christmas would have been too late. So there they will be used, but then rewrapped, or then wrapped. It's more for the kids, right? It's more for the kids, right? But it's a chance to get things that we wouldn't normally spend, a chance to, to give things in order to, oftentimes I'm afraid, make a, ourselves happy. Like a chance to give gifts in order to feel good. Now, obviously, there is a, a goodness that's attached, a, a positive, a, a joyfulness in giving gifts. But the question is, are we doing it to get happiness? Are we doing it because we love them, because we're full of joy from the Lord and we give? Or is it a chance to <clears throat> find my joy or happiness in what might feel like community? And fellowship with friends and family when it really doesn't take place the rest of the year. Again, where, where do we find our where do we find our joy this time of season? What, watch watch your uh, your ups and downs over the next few weeks, and they will not lie to you. Listen, Christmas is more than just Jesus Christ coming into the world as a human, but that's kind of the way we tend to explain Christmas, and it kind of starts and stops there. And, and if we know a big word, we call it the incarnation. But it's this, it's more than this. Listen, the, the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Jesus, the God-man come to earth is, it means something. It means change. It means your life and our, my life is changed because of that fact, because of that coming. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he said this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Listen, we live in a culture of darkness. We live in a culture of darkness. Now, I know some of you are going, well, yeah, duh. I knew that. But well, let's talk about it. Here we have Israel and Isaiah being talked about in Isaiah. Israel was living in a terrible, in themselves, the nation of Israel, was living in terrible rebellion against God. And here in the beginning of Isaiah, it's prophesied that they will be punished by the Assyrians. Like this is... They're, they're about to be plundered and taken into captivity. Just read, even just chapter 8. If you did renovate us this week, I had you read chapter 8 so you would see what was leading into chapter 9. <clears throat> they, will under, they will overtake them because Israel was such a dark place. So the, the, the darkness is not just the Assyrians, but I think the darkness being talked about is the, the general rebellion of God's people. 
Listen, to many of us, the world is a dim place, not a dark place. To many of us, the world is a dim place, not a dark place. The dark places, you know, those are in like the Middle East, different parts of town, probably closer to the city. But, but everything else is just dim. Everything around us is just a little dim. My family, my extended family, maybe it's just a little dim. The places I recreate, it's just a little dim. The people in my children's educational sphere, it's just a little dim. My children even are maybe just a little dim. The places where I work, maybe it's just a little dim. If I can paraphrase someone here, he said this, we need to realize that Christmas means very little of the right thing if we don't first realize that the world is a very dark place. And he said two ways in which the world is a dark place. Two ways. First one is this. It's evil. Examples, right? Selfishness, pride, Oppression, persecution, racism, violence, abortion, fear-mongering. The list goes on. It's a dreadfully evil place. Listen, how many of those things happen in your nice, comfortable workplace? You ever see selfishness there? How about pride? You see those things? See those at your college institution? You see those in your, the people in your cubicles across from you or your neighbors? How about your children? How about yourself? Pride, oppression, persecution, fear mongering. You, you see these things. The world is evil, but it's also ignorant. We use, tend to use ignorant as an excuse. That's not my point here. But the world cannot tell, like, in many ways, the extent of the darkness. You and I oftentimes can't tell the extent of our own darkness. It's just a little dim. It's not quite what it should be. But it's not a place without hope. And, and, in, and in ignorance, we oftentimes too, but certainly the world, those who do not follow Jesus Christ, in ignorance say this. It's just, it's just that, you know, we, we just got to figure out what our problems are and come together and fix it. If we could just come together. And, and so Christmas turns into the season of like, of coming together to fix things. That we, we can have hope because we can come together and we can fix the problem. Listen, again, the darkness is not only those who denounce the name of Christ, but there's such great darkness, particularly in our culture, of even those who give lip service to the name of Christ. A friend of mine said this, it seems that American evangelicalism has forfeited her moral conviction and view of the kingdom to hold on to, if only for a moment more, the powers of Babylon. It's an evil place. 
But the solution, they say, is in us. We just gotta, we just gotta find it and make it happen. And and, and here's the question: like, so that's that's the world. That's that's what's going on in this season. People are thinking happy holidays, or even when people say Merry Christmas, or whatever. We're thinking we we have a problem, and we we gotta figure out the solution. And we come together, we'll figure this out. And in, in Isaiah eight, it says this: verse twenty one and twenty two. They will pass through the land. This is speaking of those who are living in darkness. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the what? They will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. What does it mean? They will look to the earth. It means they will look to the earth for the solution. They will look to the earth for the fix. <clears throat> to take care of the darkness. To find the solution. Right, so it's not just our world that does this, but it's us who do this as well. Some look to the government to fix our problems. Some look to technology. Some look to the schools. Some to, to alternative school options. Some look to furthering their own education. Some look to their earning potential as this will fix the problem. And we can overcome all these things if we just work together. And how often do we live this way as well? If I just do this, it'll fix my problem. If I just do this, it'll fix my problem. And the this is never defined as repentance and confession before the Lord and living in faith that He has forgiven you and has saved you. The this that would fix our problem is rarely ever that, even in the children of God. And so Christmas to the world around us means like the heretic Rob Bell said, love wins. Love will win. We'll just, if we just have enough love, enough joy, enough, we will win. Love will win. Listen, this is the darkness that the people around us are living in. They, and what happens is every year we turn, they turn to this place for hope or this place for hope and, and maybe they get a little bit of a relief for a moment and then January and February comes and it's all back to the same. Or maybe just a hair better. Many of our family members that we'll see over Christmas, whether they proclaim the name of Christ or denounce the name of Christ, will have these same struggles. There is much evil that lurks in our hearts as well. There's much ignorance from which we operate our lives upon. Listen, we spend all year building our own kingdom. Why would Christmas be an exercise of anything different? So as we come in, if this has been the pattern of life, then what's this? We should be looking this looking for this during Christmas as well. We, a little bit of my will here and a little bit of my will there and then we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on it for good measure. I need my control. I need my power. I need my comfort. And don't forget, I need others to affirm me. We spend all year doing this, these evil things and, and Lord willing, hopefully working through those in repentance and faith. But all of that doesn't just disappear because all of a sudden we're happy and celebrating the coming of Jesus. It's there. And we oftentimes, again, struggle with the thought that the solution is inside us. We just need to be a better person. 
or that other person just needs to understand me better. But the reality is this. In order to deal with darkness, there must be light. In order to deal, in order to fix the problem of darkness, there has to be light. Look what he said again in chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You see, only light can relieve darkness. Only light can deal with the problem of darkness. I mean, this is true in a physical, like, world sense. Like, you, you walk into a dark room, and you have to turn on the light to see anything. That's the only thing that will fix the darkness, the problem of the darkness. Only light can relieve darkness. So here's what it says, back to Isaiah. In the midst of this great rebellion by the nation of Israel, there were those who were faithful to the Lord. That's, that's what, kind of think like remnant, right? There's a, a remnant of those who are faithful to the Lord in the midst of all this great darkness. Not that they're without any darkness of their own, but they're the ones walking and living in repentance and faith in the midst of great darkness that will still cause the entire nation of Israel to be brought into captivity by the Assyrians. See, when the rest of the nation of Israel was giving lip service to God, but in their hearts was worshiping other gods, there were a few faithful. And to them, this passage speaks of a future light. Certainly, it'll be a light for the world. It'll be a light to the entire nation of Israel, but it'll be particularly a very special and unique light to those whom God has persevered their faithfulness. Those who dwelt in the land of great darkness, it says, would see a great light. A great light would come and relieve them of their distress. They were not told to find the solution to their darkness inside themselves. The solution had to come from outside of them. Something outside the darkness had to shine into the darkness. Had to come inside, break through the darkness. Isaiah is referring here when he thinks about the light. I want, you, I want to help you understand the, kind of the metaphor, the symbol that Isaiah is using here. The, the idea of light is the idea of the sun. Like S-U-N. Not just S-O-N. So for the next few moments, think S-U-N. Okay, every time I say sun, don't get confused. I mean, it does kind of mean both. Uh, but hang with me on the metaphor for a few moments with S-U-N. Someone said this, that the sun, when he thinks about the sun, the sun gives us life. I'm going to think about three things that the sun gives or the sun does. The first one is that the sun gives life. Nothing lives in darkness. Now, true, I know when I, when I was thinking about this phrase, I was like, well, yeah, you, you, well, 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 you know, you got those like, those like, very translucent albino creatures that live like in the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean. Okay, that's, that's fine. But listen, nothing lives in darkness. Hang with me for a second. The scriptures over and over and over again use the darkness to describe nothing but death and decay. Brokenness, death, decay. 
but the Son gives nutrients and brings about life. I mean, even thinking about like humans' physiological needs and psychological needs, we are helped as humans by the Son. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, when like December and January, and particularly what you get past Christmas, because that kind of makes everything feel better. Why? Because there's so much light. And then January gets dark because everyone turns off their Christmas lights. And, you know, and then the electric bills go down. And then if you didn't switch to LED lights, you know, and then you, so then you come to January and all the lights go out. And, and you're like, wow, this is kind of depressing, right? Anybody else? I mean, that's the way I am. Why? Because the sun gives life. The sun sustains life. Plants grow because of the sun. Plants growing feed animals. Light relieves death and decay. But who is ultimately the sun, right? Who is ultimately the one who gives life? God does. So, so who's Isaiah speaking of when he thinks of this? Who's bringing light into the darkness? He's thinking of God. God is the one who gives life. God is the one who sustains our very breath. Right? We are the ones who chose darkness over light. We chose to live autonomously from the light of the Father. We struggle with this same decision to do the same. To live in the darkness when we could live in the light. This leads, when we choose this, and as the world has chosen this, that leads to death and decay. Listen, this is a part of why we struggle so much, even as Christians, that we're looking to all sorts of other things to give us life, to make us breathe, to awake our hearts, to make us feel alive. For example, some of us feel most alive when whatever ideals we have, they're being met, they're being reached, they're being accomplished. I feel most alive. I've got life and breath right now. Others of us, it's when stress is far from us, right? We just keep stress as far away as we can. Ah, I can live. I can breathe, right? That no one has a, a strangle around my neck. Still others, when you can, when we can blame other people for our faults, Meaning when I don't have to own the brokenness inside me, the darkness inside me, I feel most alive when there's an explanation for my wrongdoings other than sin and my need for a Savior. And so what happens, we continue to look to the wrong things to relieve our darkness only to find more darkness. It just perpetuates darkness. It just strengthens the, the, the tone of the darkness. The further we pursue life apart from the sun, apart from God. But Christmas says, a light has come. A light has been shown into the darkness. Second thing the sun does is that the sun reveals the truth of a thing. The sun reveals the truth of a thing. like a Dr. Seuss book for a moment. The sun reveals the truth of a thing. When you walk into the room, imagine with me for a second, when you walk into a dark room, no lights, no windows, pitch dark, 
And you know there are objects in that room, right? Like, let's pretend for a moment again that you know there are objects in that room. But you didn't, like you were told there were objects, but you didn't see the objects before. You were told kind of what they were, kind of where they were. But, but here's the reality. You don't really know those objects, though, do you? You don't know the truth of those objects. You don't know the, the, the truth, the reality of those objects objects. You don't know the colors of those objects or the tone. Maybe you were told they were purple, but you didn't know what shade of purple they were. You don't know the, the, the positioning and, and the, the size of those objects. You don't know the, the truth about those objects. The reality of those objects is still ignorant in your mind. Your mind is still ignorant of these truths. But when the light comes on, when the light is shown, when the light comes in, when the, when the light is flipped on, what happens? You, you begin to see the reality of these objects. You begin to see the, the truth of, of that room. You see the, the truth, the, the reality of what's taking place inside of that room. But the light must come in from outside. See, because the world rejected the sun, S-O-N, so the truth has been rejected. We'd rather have a lie. We'd rather have a lie. I was working on a project that I needed some help with. I submitted, submitted, it wasn't, uh, uh, I submitted it to someone who knew a lot more about it, this process than I did, and I submit this, my plans to this person, and he writes back and says, oh, I've got this concern, this concern, this concern, and this concern. And uh, I respond and I say, okay, hey, I, I've, I, so I've worked through each of your concerns. I've worked through this one, here's this one, there's this one, here's this one. I've worked through each of these things and, and such. And I wanted to thank you specifically for bringing your concerns to my attention. And he goes, wow, like you're thankful for those concerns? Like bringing those, I'm like, I'm really thankful. He goes, Oh, he goes, and he said, this is purely, this is someone who doesn't follow Jesus. It's very clear. He says, well, you know, what I've found is that just most people would rather live in ignorance uh, than live in the truth. Wow, that's pretty insightful. That's very true. Many of us would rather live in ignorance. We'd rather just pretend like everything's okay. We'd rather live in the darkness. No need for the light. Just leave it off because I know if I turn, I know that if the Spirit shines light into that part of my heart, there'll be something I have to deal with there. So we'd rather live in darkness. But what Isaiah is saying is that God is the source of all truth. That as truth reveals, as light reveals the truth of a thing, so God is the source of light which reveals the truth of all things. So here's what Isaiah is saying to them. Be faithful. Wait on the Lord. A light is coming that will reveal the truth. The truth about what? The truth about the idols that they're worshiping. The truth about their hearts. The truth about the Assyrians. The truth about real joy. The truth about God's kingdom. The truth about redemption. A light is coming that will reveal the truth of these things. 
And Isaiah is saying only by knowing God can we know the truth about ourselves even. Thirdly, the sun is beautiful. S-U-N. The sun is beautiful. Listen, light gives joy. Isaiah 9.3 says this, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. What is this following? The fact that light has come in. The fact that light has shined upon their darkness. As the light shone, the joy has been increased. As the harvest was brought by the sun, the joy was increased. <clears throat> Again, we know that God is the source of all truth, beauty, and goodness. And when something becomes beautiful to you, you will dwell on it, think about it, you will toss it back and forth in your mind. It will consume your thoughts. That which is most beautiful to you. It will consume your thoughts, control your emotions. It will drive your actions. You will turn around for one more glance. Just another look, I say. So this is what light looks like. It's glorious. It's incomprehensible. It's delightful when God's light shines and brings life. His light is beautiful. So here's the question. Do you see what, hap- what light does to the darkness? When he talks about the light shining into their darkness, what's happening? It's going to give life. It's going to reveal the truth. And it's going to be beautiful. This is what light does to darkness. It gives life where only death and decay survived. It gives right understanding where only ignorance and falsehood survived. And it brings joy because beauty brings joy, not darkness. So the question is this. How is the light though going to come upon us? How is God's light, God the being the sun, and metaphorically speaking here, the S-U-N, the sun, the light. And how is that light going to come upon this dark place? And he says in verse 6, as we already read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah tells them, and he's telling us, that in the midst of your darkness, there will be a child born. Right? Woohoo, right? A child born. What's, what's that? <laughs> Watch what Isaiah does in these few words. He says that this child will be called what? Wonderful Counselor. That this child will be called Mighty God. That this child will be called Everlasting Father. That this child will be called Prince of Peace. That's crazy. Do you know why? Because those are only names for God. This child is going to be Mighty God? It's His name? Not so. That's insane. He's going to be everlasting father? How can this child be everlasting father? How can this child be everlasting? So what's Isaiah saying? God himself is going to come as a child and relieve 
your darkness. That's what's going to happen. God is going to shine his light upon our darkness. So let's ask another question. How is God going to shine this light in the sun? How can the darkness be relieved, if you will? See, the light has come. Here, what we have in these verses and what we celebrate this time of year is the dawning of light. We have the dawning of hope. Something outside of our darkness has come into our darkness. Here we have something that we could not do ourselves, something we couldn't muster up the strength to do or or gather the collective efforts of everybody to accomplish. Listen, the collective efforts of humankind, ourselves included, is darkness. That's what it produces, is darkness. But here, the collective efforts of the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Son comes. Something outside of us comes. Listen, this is why we celebrate Christmas. As you're walking through the stores, as you're looking at Christmas lights, as you're sitting on the floor giving gifts to your children, giving gifts to your friends, as you're sharing with your coworkers, I want you to think about this. God has given light to the world, and it flashed upon our darkness through His Son. Listen, we don't give gifts just because Jesus got gifts. We don't get with family because we just need a little Christmas cheer. We celebrate Christmas because the gift of light was given to us who is in darkness. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because a light has come. Someone turned on the light and it has shone upon our great darkness. Let me ask you, are you giving the gift of light to the people around you? Your children, your coworkers, your church community? Listen, this requires more than saying Merry Christmas or capitalizing Christ when you write Christmas. It takes more than that. Meaning, are you rehearsing the truths of the gospel with each other? Are you sharing the good news of Jesus? That light has come. Are those conversations coming up in your office place or with your neighbors or with your co-op or whatever it is, your church? Light has come. Light has come to relieve your darkness as it has relieved mine. Again, I think oftentimes the struggle is that you and I don't realize how dark our lives really were prior to the light coming and how much darkness still lingers in our lives. Again, It's hard to understand the meaning of Christmas if you don't understand the darkness that preceded it. Let's look at the names of the child here. I want to give you two implications. Two implications. 
First one is this. You can't just like him if he is mighty God and everlasting Father. He can't just be a yearly sentimental thing if he is indeed mighty God and everlasting Father. Listen, uh, Keller said this, your celebration of Christmas will either show that you love the light or that you hate the light. Again, we can give lip service and we can say all the right phrases around Christmas time and still be hating the light. Listen, if He is indeed mighty God, then you don't get the choice to just like Him. You either bow before Him in worship or you run from Him in rebellion. And Christmas, even though you can go through the motions, will be an exercise of one of those two options. There's many tools and ways in which we can get out. Okay, so how do I, how do I discern which way in which I'm walking in Christmas? Because I maybe for decades I've learned how to just say the right things and walk the right walk visibly and even convince myself that I really know and Cherish the meaning of Christmas. Let me ask, there's just one thought I, th- I thought of was, will you walk in humble repentance on the journey to Christmas? Will you walk the walk of faith and repentance each day as you walk towards the celebration of Christ? You know, there's other ways to, I'm sure, to, to test that, but that's what's going on in this passage, right? Is that they are living in rebellion. They're not living in faith and repentance. They're living in rebellion, and so they're going to be judged, but a light is going to come upon the darkness. The second implication of these names is that if he is wonderful counselor and prince of peace, you should love, you should cherish the opportunities to serve him. If he is wonderful counselor, if he is the prince of peace, should relish the opportunities to serve God. Right? We, we, we talk about this all the time. We, we spend much of our time serving our own agendas, even agendas that seem good. But listen, what joy it is to serve someone who knows how we feel in our servitude. What a pleasure it is to serve someone who knows what it's like to have his service rejected. For to be despised even for your servitude. He is wonderful counselor and prince of peace. We can serve, we can love serving him, whether that's in the nursery, leading a DNA group whether you're serving Him in the city or the burbs, you can love serving Him as you care for your family, as you love on a widow, or as you relieve the distress of the poor. You can love serving Him. Why? Because He is wonderful counselor and He is Prince of Peace. The last thing I want you to see, so the light has come, but don't miss this reality. The light must be given. The light had to be given. 
would argue that the effects, the continued effects of the light must be given as well. But he says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. He's given. Listen, there is nothing that we can do to get to the truth. It has to be given to us. Why? Well, Romans even talks about how we suppress the truth. So even once we've heard some of the truth, we want to suppress it as though it's not even there. The truth has to be given to us. This light has to be given to us. It means that you and I and the rest of the world were without hope apart from God choosing to give us His Son. That's what this passage means. Listen, without hope apart from God choosing to reveal the truth to us. The truth of what, right? The truth of all things. The truth of the reality of our existence. The truth of the reality of His existence. The the truth about the darkness in which you and I were without hope in. And then look at the following part of this passage. Actually, the previous part in verse 4 and 5 of Isaiah 9. It says this, For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior is battle tumult, and every garment rolled in Blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. <clears throat> What's he talking about there? I think what he's saying is there's a warrior will come and he will fight the darkness for us. This is a battle that we cannot win. It's a battle that must be fought by something outside of us and something must fight for us. And it's only through this sacrifice that we will be set free. This gift of a warrior says this, you and I are in darkness. We're evil, ignorant. But you are also without hope because you cannot rescue yourself. Alright, Isaiah. Someone I read this week gave this example. It's like someone buying you a diet book for Christmas. How would that make you feel? What would you think? Or, maybe this. What if someone bought you uh, C.J. Mahaney's book called Humility? Or Keller's book, Self-Forgetfulness? What would you, what would you think? Uh, right? Someone bought you those books, or one or the other, you know. Now, if someone got you all of them, that would just be a doozy. What do you have to do? What do you have to do to genuinely receive those gifts? Like to genuinely, like with gladness, receive those gifts. Like you can take them, right? You can take them and like put a smile on your face and act like a Pharisee. Ah, yeah, great. Thank you so much. Right? And then you're thinking, oh, what are they trying to say about me? Right? And you're not really receiving that gift. You're just taking it off their hands, right? But what about to like actually receive that gift, to, to, to welcome that gift into your life? What would have to happen? You'd have to swallow some pride, wouldn't you? You'd have to repent for some pride. You'd have to, by God's grace, embrace some humility 
Listen, you don't really receive something with gladness. Like, receive it rightly. This kind of gift, unless you do it with humility. Keller said this, If you haven't swallowed your pride to great depths, then you have not received the gift of the Son. If you have not swallowed your pride to great depths, then you have not received the gift of Christmas. That's what this passage is saying. Listen, this gift of Christmas makes the greatest indictment on your life and mine ever. Christmas means that you and I are totally incapable of saving ourselves from the darkness that we are in and the darkness that's within us. And you can have no measure of pride in that reality. Nothing but the death of another could rescue you from the death that you have brought upon yourself. And what this passage teaches us is that if there is any measure of pride in us, that is the measure to which we are unwilling to receive the Son. I find oftentimes in counseling, both formal and informal counseling situations, that oftentimes to speak the truth is like delivering that diet book on Christmas or that book on humility on Christmas. I find that in receiving truth that I need to hear, it's like getting a diet book on Christmas. Why, this pride still lingers in there. And this passage says that a warrior must come. The light must be given. It cannot be taken. It cannot be earned. It cannot, you can't do anything to, to, to grab a hold of it. You can't turn it on yourself. It must be given. And someone must fight on your behalf. Listen, the cure to our struggle, this particularly the cure to this pride, is this. In order for something to be a gift, it's got to be free. It's got to be free. A gift with any sort of strings attached is not a gift. It's an exchange of goods or services. It's free. We must give up things like control and affirmation and power and comfort. Listen, when, when, for this pride thing, to, to receive this kind of gift, it means descending lower than any of us really want to go. It means humbling ourselves more than any of us really want to experience. Right, because the gift makes a statement about us, an indictment. Keller said this, Jesus Christ's greatness is seen in how far down He came to love us. Your spiritual regeneration and eventual greatness will be achieved by going down the same 
path. So, so what this light, this darkness, it's through repentance and faith that we come into this light. It's through a swallowing of our pride. I cannot save myself. The darkness has overtaken me. I need the light of Christ. I need the redeeming work of His blood on my behalf. Because I can't do it myself. I can't be right with God on my own. I need His. I have nothing to offer here. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this, But you are a chosen race, speaking of those who follow Christ, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Listen, when Christ died on the cross, darkness fell over the land because the light of the world had descended into darkness in order to bring us into God's beautiful light. It didn't just get dark because it was a sad day. It got dark because of the depth to which Christ went to rescue me and to rescue you. That's why it got dark. Listen, when God shines light on our hearts, revealing our total inability to save ourselves without the light of His unmerited grace, then and only then will Christmas mean what it's supposed to mean. Let's pray. Father, Father, I I just pray, I, I even recognize right now the reality that I don't understand the depth of the darkness from which you have rescued my own heart and soul, and I have no clue the depth of the darkness that still remains in the corners of my heart. Father, I'm thankful, though, that you have shined a great light. That your light has come in the face of your Son, Jesus, to shine upon our darkness, my darkness, and continues to do a work that only it can do, that only you can do, Father. Father, I pray that you help us to recognize as we celebrate Advent and the coming of your Son, Jesus, that that we, Father, would recognize that darkness is a part of our existence and a part of our past and a part of our present and will be a part of our future, but will not be a part of our future forever. For eventually, the light will come and wipe out all this darkness. even the darkness that lingers in our own hearts. I pray that um, 
the people around us this Christmas season, that they, that they would walk away having the light of Christ shine upon their souls as they walk away from your people, as they walk away from us. It would not be our doings, but it would be the work of the Spirit in us. Father, as your light takes over more and more real estate in our hearts and our minds. Father, I just ask that um, you would do these things in us, Father, that you would shine your light upon us and that you would use us to be lights to shine upon those around us who live in darkness. That we could bring them great hope. Bring them great new life that comes only from your hand, Father. I love you, and it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.